Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamari, Managing Director of Elkut Global. We have here with us Hussein Bebe. Hussein likes to introduce himself as a public and private sector leader with more than 20 years of experience in the service and logistics industry. He has worked for many, many years for UPS, where in his last role, he served as Managing Director for Middle East. And prior to UPS, he also served as a full-time advisor to the federal government at the UAE's Prime Minister's office. And also, before that, he used to lead Aramex International in the Gulf region, where he spent almost 17 years of his career. Right now, he is the CEO of Fetcher, which is an international express mail delivery and logistics services company that he took on board and, and which helps merchants and global brands build, launch and grow profitable e-commerce businesses. So that's, in a nutshell, a little bit about Hussein. Welcome to joining us. Thanks for making the time and, and great to have you. So Hussein, glad to have you. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I did a brief intro, but you know, walk us through your career a little bit. Well, myself, I'm just a normal person who had a very exciting career, like everybody. Graduated from college. Second day after my graduation, I, I went to work. And I didn't really start on a managerial level and never in the office. I started on the ground, rolled my sleeves, carrying packages, taking packages from ground floor to first floor, doing coding for Airwebs. It was a long time back in Lebanon when I started with Aramex. And that was my base. I had a great around 18 years experience in Aramex. It was a school, one of the best schools ever. And then I graduated from that school and I joined uh, the UE government. As, a, as an advisor to the Prime Minister's office. Again, I got a great experience in the public sector. I learned a lot there, had great uh, knowledge and experience, had great people whom I connected with and great friends. And of course, I contributed. This is the most important thing for me. It wasn't a job, it was a contribution, as I would say. And after that, the private sector or the shipping industry tickled me to come back this is where UPS spoke to me, and I had the privilege to join a global brand like UPS. I worked there for one year. It was, an, it was literally, I spent around one year there, but it was a 10 years of experience. Because what I learned in UPS, you can never learn anywhere else in less than 10 years. So one year in UPS was for me as 10 years of knowledge. And, and then a Fetcher opportunity came. For me, Fetcher was a great opportunity because I saw the real potential in this company. I saw an agile, innovative company, tech-based logistics player, which I haven't seen maybe previously in my previous jobs when it comes to technology. And the team is excellent. The proposition of this company is, is excellent as well. So I joined Fetcher, and we are now on a mission to take it to the next step. That's, mm. in a nutshell, my career story. And of course, I keep learning. I did not learn anything yet. No, that's the, yeah, and, and I, I think you're living proof of that. And, uh, and like I was sharing offline, and I will share this online now as well, right? So for me, uh, Hussein is a great uh, role model. And yeah, I mean, I think, and I would encourage every, everybody watching this or who will watch this to follow him on LinkedIn, because in terms of sharing his knowledge, I think he's one of a kind, very, um, you know, selfless. And you can get that 10 years of experience that he got in the one year of UPS by reading one of his posts in one minute. So there you go, there's a shortcut. I mean, if only we can get knowledge only by reading, but it's a good start, right? So I do encourage everybody to follow Hussein because he shares some really good gems and very authentic angle to it. Maybe staying with that. So let's stay with that. Let's let's keep this fluid. So staying a little bit with your social media, right? Because you're 
like I said, you're one of a kind. You share almost, you know, you actually share daily, right? And and you share, you know, from your personal stories to corporate ex examples to great lessons that you have learned. What triggered you to be, you know, to be active and, and you know, almost like why? Because you're quite unique. You know, there's so many CEOs out there and hardly any of them are properly active, right? So they might be active of sharing their corporate brochure or some sales pitch, but not like you do, right? In a very authentic and, and human nature. So tell us maybe a little bit about what drives that. Uh, well, rather there's a story. When I started in LinkedIn during my early days, and my first job, I started, believe it or not, writing quotes. I just, every day I used to come up with a quote myself and then put my signature. People started to laugh at me at that time. Who do you think you are to have your own logo, you have your own name, doing quotes, you're not Shakespeare. I was really having a lot of rejection and you know, few people really encouraged that. So I really listened to the 10% of the people who were encouraging that and I gave my deaf ear to the 90% who were against that. And I'm not talking within the company, but you know, family and friends and of course colleagues at work. And people reject this for different reasons, you know very well, that's a human nature. So consistency allowed me to continue. And the more I continued, you know, the, these quotes were genuine. I mean, I never took a quote from Google and then put my name on that. You cannot, you have to be authentic, as we said, and genuine. Otherwise, you will lose credibility forever. So I continued with those. And then I saw that there was a good acceptance for the content that I was sharing every single day. A lot of people used to, tell, to call me in different companies, Mr. LinkedIn, or some people were saying, oh, you will find him on LinkedIn. You know, 90% is it's a positive thing, and 10% people thought that I was wasting time on LinkedIn. In fact, there is no way on earth you can waste time on LinkedIn. If you want to invest in your time, you have to be socially active, especially as an executive as, and as a CEO. Because with one post, with one word even, you can reach millions of people whom you cannot reach while sitting behind an Excel sheet. Let's be very realistic, realistic here. So I continued persistency. I created my own content. I create my own content. There is no PR agency. There is nobody ever who will create whatever I write. And I do it every single day. Believe it or not, as, as I always said, it takes me 10 or 15 minutes to prepare any written post. Not more than that, because these are the things that come up spontaneously. I don't plan for them. And then I prepare that post at night. Next day, between 9 or 12, I throw that post and share it with everybody. This is regarding the content. Videos, same thing. I do the videos during my three hours, one video every week. I talk to people. I like to engage with people. Being social is really a passion, and this will never stop whatsoever. And maybe tell us, again, there's a lesson in there. Uh, tell us some of the implications. And I, I, implications, or I don't know if implication is the word. It should be positive, right? But you know, karma, right? What goes around comes around. And I, I know that you were traveling somewhere and then you got somebody recognizing you. Or tell us a little bit what you also get, right? I mean, if for lack of a better word, yeah, right? If I show you my inbox, my inmail on, on LinkedIn, if you read the messages, of course, you have different types of messages. Some of them are people looking for opportunities. I really can't respond to all. I try my best to respond to most of them. I miss a lot of them. I feel bad for that. But some of them are job requirements. Some of them are partners and suppliers. And many others are people giving you feedback. They give you feedback about the content, some positive, some needs improvement, and you listen to all. 
And many of them are sales leads, believe it or not. In the three companies that I worked for, the private sector companies, I got a lot of leads. Because when you are, as, as the CEO of the company, you are loudly authentic, you have cut 90% of the due diligence that any organization will need to do on your company because they know you. Uh, you represent the organization. If they know you, if they follow you. I have a lot of people, by the way, say our salespeople, they come and tell me they went to a client and the client said, we know your boss, we follow your boss, so we trust you and we trust the brand. And they know that wherever I even spoke about service, because I'm very, very much, I expect a lot when it comes to service perfection, although you can never reach that. But this brings the confidence in the brand that you represent. And there's no harm for any executive to be as loud and proud about their brand, about their organization, because as I told you, it will bring the trust for customers and partners to work with them, no matter what happens. Secondly, finally, I had a couple of incidents, and I'll tell you a funny story, personal story. Today, when I'm with my kids in the mall, you know, I joke with my kids a lot. I'm a different person, maybe behind the scenes. So what I do, you know, I, I become a bit childish with my kids and play with them. And my daughter always tells me, Papi, take care. Somebody may see you from LinkedIn because it <laughs> happened two times. It happened two times. One of them, one of the Emirates, and I'm sure maybe one of the guys is watching this. I saw him on an escalator. I was just, you know, being very childish with my daughter. And then somebody told me, are you Hussein? I was putting a mask. I said, yes, who are you? He introduced himself and he said, I follow you on LinkedIn. How did you know me? I was almost covering half of my face. He said, I knew you from your voice because I watch your business. So it happened once and believe it or not, it happened another time. So twice when I was with my children, it was a funny story, but I think this is good because when you are a bit socially active, uh, this will allow people uh, to connect with you even offline. We are not influencers, we are not actors, we are not famous, we are just simple people sharing our knowledge, being authentic, and we don't really expect anything as a return from that other than having more connections and friends and, and partners. No, absolutely. And I'll resonate, right? I mean, it has happened once or twice to me and well, Okay, I'm going to put my hand up and I say I'm, it made me feel like a superstar at that point. And then my second thought was exactly like you. Okay, I cannot fool around, which I, I still do, right? Because <laughs> it's, just, it's just our nature. And then being authentic, I think it's important that, you know, I, that, that part with playfulness, that's another topic, right? I think we should play a little bit more and be a little bit more fun at work than we are. Sometimes it's too serious, right? So... To that point of, you know, we should not have a persona, and I don't think you have either, either, where, you know, it's one persona in the office and a totally different persona at home. Like, it's, I think the best people are the ones that are managing somehow to juggle, right, all these different balls and, and keep it, you know, keep it in the air. Sometimes they drop, right, but it's okay. So, and, and to the point with clients, right, what a great point, right? So, I, I want to double click a little bit on that because now, obviously, if you're the CEO of, I don't know, Fortune 100, 500 company. And, and I've actually had discussions with some of these individuals, right? And I've said, why, don't, why are you not more active, right? And then typically the reason is I have so much to do. I don't have another worry. They see it as a worry. I don't have another worry because if I post something that is not appropriate, so there's this big fear, I'm going to post something that is not appropriate. I'm going to have all sorts of repercussions. So I don't want on top of all the things that I'm doing to have that headache. I think they're missing the point that you just mentioned, right? The connections, the representation of the company, the brand, the values, and, and you as a human being, 
is a lot more important than to me at least right and 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 to you uh, than all this repercussions now obviously if you're talking from your personal perspective it's very unlikely that you're going to have much repercussions even if you're the ceo of apple but they don't really do it do they look uh, let me tell you something the first rule here is to take out the ego of the ceo title the moment you take out by the way today if if tomorrow i go and, and become a ceo of a fortune 500 i will still be loud and proud about the brand publicly and socially and look if i ever tell you even if i manage 50,000 people that I don't have time because it's not a matter of having time. It's a matter of fighting time for what really matters and being socially active and connecting with people and attracting business and attracting partners and keeping everybody updated is one of the roles of the CEO. The role of the CEO is never only behind, as I said, behind the screen, seeing reports, uh, questioning people. You have to be in the field and the field today is social media. Literally, it's the virtual field which we are all active in, and it brings a lot of value to the brand. It brings a lot of value to your company and to your business as well. Set aside your personal brand which you are building silently without maybe having the intention to do that, but of course, your personal brand gets built in parallel of enhancing your corporate brand, and this is where magic and perfection happens. And I can guarantee that, and you can challenge me for this. Mm. No, 100%. So we're, we're getting some questions. I will, as always, encourage people to comment your question in the comments on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll address it to Hussein. Maybe let's, let's talk a little bit about Fetcher as well, right? And let's tell us a little bit about what you're, you know, what you're building, what you're developing there, and, and a little bit about the company as well. Fetcher is a beautiful story. It was established in 2012. It was a tech-enabled logistics company. It came, it was established out of Dubai. The founders did a great job in building the company here and disrupting the industry. When they came to the industry, I was still working in other companies and I was afraid of this company. You know, it was the cool, disruptive, agile company, brought a technology which it was still rare at that time, and it grew to a certain situation. Then we took over and we are rebounding the company again recently as a new team, but not a totally new team. Basically, maybe uh, a small portion of the team is new, and the old team, especially the heroes on the ground and in the field and at mid-level, are still here, and we are capitalizing on what was done before. So today, Fetcher is coming. When I say to disrupt the industry, it already started disrupting the industry a long time back through its AI and machine learning and the advanced tech that's changing the traditional ways of delivering parcels and the last mile experience. And we are taking the company global now from a last mile operator into end to end to an end to end global operator that facilitates, enables e-commerce, supports B2C businesses across the world through two things and two main things, the best tech ever and the best people in the, in the industry ever. By having the best tech and the best people, you can build the best unicorn in the world. That's it in a nutshell. It will take maybe a full episode to tell you about the great things in Fetcher, but this is in a nutshell. Absolutely. Well, here's a question that, that came in just to, to speak a little bit more from a, let's say, mindset, best practices, maybe top two, top one, top three tips of you as a CEO, right? So maybe let's expand a little bit on that to answer Sushil. Look, uh, being a CEO is, again, as I always say, it's not a title, it's the actions of the CEO. A CEO is the chief everything officer. When I say chief everything officer, it doesn't mean that you have to micromanage or do everything. But you have to have skills almost in everything. You cannot be skilled in one area. You have to be customer-centric, 
You have to be commercially focused. You have to be financially strong in terms of the knowledge. You have to be people-oriented. You have to be socially active. So I think all these ingredients today make the new generation of CEOs. And of course, accountability and having the courage to be responsible for whatever happens in your organization. There is always something that people ask me. They tell me, what if you go and manage a company which is having a million people? How will you deploy what you are saying today on social media between improving the culture? There will be a lot of politics. I tell them clearly, and this I will always say this. If you are the CEO and you encourage, before enforcing, encourage a perfect culture in the organization, then there's no way this is debatable. Anything else is negotiable, but when you want to provide or build the best company in the world, you don't negotiate on that. You don't allow politics or people to stop you from that. You can take uh, different points of view, suggestions, but the base is we want to make it, let's make it, and let everybody suggest how to make it. This is what I think, because I hear from a lot of people saying a lot of politics CEOs suffer from the politics, from the team around them. No, you shouldn't. You are a CEO, you are accountable by the board to deliver something, to make things happen. The challenge is how much you are courageous and, of course, inspiring and motivating to have things happen. We're not talking about the cutthroat leadership here. We're talking about a leadership that motivates people to really align with you as the CEO, then you will have the best working environment ever. These are the things that I think from a modern CEO perspective. No, absolutely. And I mean, it's... Uh... It's really fundamental. I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, also for for us from when we do searches, right, on the headhunting and executive search, and then people uh, sometimes ask us what are some of the key criteria for executives, key criteria that companies need in the CEO or in their board members and whatnot. Usually, it's fairly fun. Is the fundamentals that are key, right? It's not the oh he needs to know AI and blockchain and whatever other buzzword and whatnot, right? I mean. No, like it's it's not typically that, right? So, but a lot of times we get lost in this search for the next busting, for the next cool thing, for the next cool tech, for the next whatever it is, right? And then we forget that it's actually it boils down to typically people, right? I mean, if you if you're not good with people, you should not be a leader in the first place. People, it is business partners, customers, and your employees. If you focus on those three as a CEO, you will have perfection. And, mm -hmm. and as a CEO, your strength is not doing things yourself and taking the credit. It's your real strength as a leader is making things happen through your people, getting the best out of your people so that they can deliver. That's mm -hmm. the way I see it. You should not really take that credit and go to the board and say, I've done that. The team has done that and you are a great leader. And your success, by the way, when your people deliver, it's not what you personally do. It's what your team mm -hmm. does. And then everybody will be benefiting really from the, the, from the fruits of this, uh, this collaborative effort. We're getting a few questions and I'd like to, obviously on the topic of e-commerce, right? And, and, and what you guys are facilitating. It's quite a shift, right? So one big, huge shift that has happened with COVID is that it's, you know, boomed <laughs> through the sky in a very fast time that, you know, it was accelerated. Another big shift, obviously the generations, across generations now people are shopping online, right? Because, well, you have no choice really and even if you're in your 80s now you have to or you had to at some point during the lockdowns and whatnot you had to get used to that so that again accelerated the trends what do you see for the next three to five years right what kind of shifts will you see also in the you know omni-channel what will malls become like right so i'm, I'm you know only fools make predictions 
So, you know, I'm a fool. I'm asking you. <laughs> so, you know, what are some of the big picture things that you see happening in the next three to five years from an e-commerce and also last mile distribution perspective? Look, I'll be very realistic with you from an industry perspective. I'm not going to talk science fiction and, uh, you know, flying cars and all these things because this will take time. Let's be very, extremely realistic. Uh, the e-commerce today is here to stay. The boom is here to stay. Uh, the spike, as I said last time, the spike in e-commerce or the growth and the accelerated growth was triggered by COVID-19. And thanks for COVID-19 for taking us three or five years ahead of what was anticipated. So today, B2C is, is really the future of shopping. And that this doesn't mean that you're going to close all the malls and brick and mortars and then everybody's going to go home. Uh, I think I wrote about it recently, whereby those malls and stores are going to turn more into experience centers. So people are going to go there, not really to buy things. They want to go and, and have maybe a different experience. And I think I have a lot of friends who are CEOs of, of uh, retail companies. When you sit with them, you feel the innovative approach. And they started to think from now of turning these malls or these stores into, as you said, experience centers and entertainment centers as well. But the e-commerce is going to keep growing by a double digit or a single digit. But I think it's a double digit game from now until maybe two or three years. You will see a lot of technology being adopted more in the last mile and in every single mile. Eventually, you need tech to be integrating there. Uh, today, you have the first mile, mid mile and last mile. They are not really properly uh, integrated from a tech perspective. And I think you will see more technologies coming to really join all those parts of the supply chain of the e-commerce uh, parcel or the journey of the parcel. And then this is where uh, the experience of the consumer or the customer is going to improve. Focusing on customer experience today is the most critical part in the e-commerce logistics business. You can have the best tech in the world if the experience, and not only the last mile experience, but I always say never ends by the last mile delivery. In fact, the experience starts by the last mile you know, delivery because you have the return. If the reverse logistics or the return, the experience was so bad, that client or consumer will forget all the good things that happened before. Between the payment gateway, which was smooth, between the first mile, the pickup of the shipment, the transit, you know, the cash and delivery, and the, and the last mile delivery. But if the return turns out to be horrible, you've, you've really messed the whole experience. So between tech, uh, between, as I said, the more integration, between more consolidation as well, I, we will see consolidation between companies. There is no way you can avoid that. You will see companies merging together. You will see big boys buying small boys or big boys uh, dissolving and then small boys growing. It is really exciting. I can see the future from a logical and realistic perspective. You asked me about drones, about automation. Yes, those will come but it will take time. Regulations today are not ready to have 500 drones flying in the, in the sky. And of course, the operate, operating such type of technologies or tools, if I'm allowed to say that, is a bit expensive. They will come, but let's at least think in the next five years, things will still be the same on the ground, but will change the technologies, the experience, the speed of delivery, and of course, having maybe more good caliber in the industry. That's my own opinion. Thank you for that. And I'll, I'll just pick this question that Mai has asked just to, to go a little bit maybe deeper specifically for certain technology. And, and again, not talking drones at this. Um, and you spoke, for example, of 
the integration of first, middle, last mile. And I know a lot of companies that are trying to even build partnerships across different systems just so that they get the data and then make that smart decisions whether, you know, you can save even the truck going back uh, empty versus, you know, it being loaded with something else or rerouting and all that. So maybe tell us a little bit about some of these things that had the most ROI or the most impact for your operations, right? It might not necessarily be drones, right? It won't be drones because that doesn't work yet. And, and yeah, tell us a little bit on this. Look, uh, I can see all here because there was a question now I saw it on the screen about the best tech innovations in Petcher. Let me tell you something. What I'm proud of seeing in Petcher today, and I was really impressed when I joined this company recently, is they cook their own technology. Fetcher has literally a tech kitchen. We have a great tech team in this company who, who does the, they do the, the things by themselves. The technology that we have is extremely flexible that to an extent it integrates almost with everyone. But the best thing of what we are cooking today is the machine learning, utilizing machine learning and AI for predictive technologies. So today we are coming to the market with a great tech that allows us to predict if a delivery is going to happen or not on time. And this, this is based on studying thousands of data points per consumer to know the behavior of that customer. So if I was trying to deliver to Radu a cash and delivery parcel in the past, and he didn't have the cash on time, or he never answers his call, or he changes the address, then I'm going to go back to the merchant based on the data that I will have from my analytics and tell them, don't give Radu a cash and delivery option because you're going to incur the cost of returns. So I think this is something amazing to start uh, having more and more in the industry because my purpose is not only to make money from the merchant and the, and the delivery. My purpose is to save that merchant from the return fences so that they can trust me and give me more business. This is where you come with value propositions that are tech-based rather than going always into the traditional way of selling things. This is one of the small things that I told you about which we are doing in Petcher, and we have a lot of things that are coming also in the pipeline, which hopefully we you will hear about publicly. Just one thing, Hussein, and I'm sure your machine learning will pick it up. In my household, the decision maker is the big boss, which is my wife, uh, and you know, ML needs to focus on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Another good question, Jonathan Pierce is asking, is there a contradiction today between e-commerce delivery and sustainability, carbon footprint, uh, traffic? I mean, obviously, we have a lot of waste, you know, even the boxes. And I mean, there's some significant problems that there are some startups that are trying to fix. But over to you, what's your take? That's a very good question, uh, Jonathan, and I agree totally with you. We as an industry, we are the biggest polluters in the world. Literally, I can tell you as an industry, we are the biggest polluters. There is a contradiction uh, because today, you know, a courier does, let's say, 60, 70 deliveries, which is 60, sometimes 70 stops, which means he or she are driving more and polluting the streets. The solution is very simple to go more into the omni-channel and the hybrid models of, of the delivery. So if you go, for example, and diversify the solutions that you have, not only direct delivery, you can arrange for, let's say, the PUDU, you know, the pickup and drop-off points. If you offer this, and the lockers, the parcel lockers, you know, the automated parcel lockers. If you start diversifying your operational options here and to go into giving the client the option of, I'm not going to come and deliver to you and burn fuel and, and pollute the, the environment. Why don't you, on your way coming from work, pick it up from a store or from a shop or from a laundry place or from an authorized service contractor 
who is a Pudo partner for you? Why don't you collect it from a locker next to your home? I think this is this is how companies should start thinking. First of all, you will reduce the cost of delivery because you will consolidate all your deliveries to one locker, for example, rather than delivering 50 parcels together, and it will help the environment. So I totally encourage anybody who wants to come to the industry, don't open a courier company. Come up with a technology that fixes a problem for the courier companies. Come up with a technology that enables us to, to, to reduce our carbon, carbon footprint and to make us more efficient while taking care of the environment. Because sustainability and is, is a very important thing in our, uh, in our playbooks. Absolutely. And, and I think I was reading, now I can't remember the name, but there was a significant investment in a European locker company that reached yeah. the unicorn status. That is exactly doing that, trying to fix that, that 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 solution, right? And having this kind of consolidated lockers, and they're investing in a big way. Yeah, it, it's not clear cut. I don't. I, I guess there's no no yet an immediate. This is the solution, but some great pointers there, and hopefully sooner rather than later we'll get to the, to to that. On on the topic of returns, that's also a topic that, and I've seen, and we've recently had discussions. I got a startup asking me for different advice. They want to fixed returns there's different solutions existing there's there's two players that i know from a software perspective that are fairly large out of uk but it hasn't really been cracked right i was reading that uh, i think in the us they gave you know they basically told that the peak they said just keep the stuff don't <laughs> return it right if you, have an issue, you, know, you keep it i think that uh, you know so What's going on? What's your views? I mean, is I mean, again, there's not going to be a straightforward answer, but yeah, let's talk a little bit more. No, 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 no. That's a very good topic. Today, returns is still a weak thing. It's a weak leg in the whole industry, I can tell you. I haven't seen myself personally a perfect return service yet. Maybe it's missing the right technology. Maybe it's missing the right attention from companies because, you know, companies focus more on the big volume which goes with the outbound or the outgoing shipments but they don't really focus on the return shipments. I believe for e-commerce companies today, I'm not talking about logistic companies, e-commerce companies, you need to really negotiate with your shipping partners on the return process more than the negotiation on, on the last mile itself. Because as I told you, the horrible experience of return is gonna mess the whole experience. I'm seeing a lot of technologies and small startups who are coming up with good return service technologies, but the tech enough is not Sorry, the tech is not enough alone. You need the infrastructure to support it and you need the mindset to do it. So if you have anybody who is watching this and you have a couple of millions of dollars to spend, don't spend on opening a new company. Spend on creating a return solution and plug with the shipping companies, the courier companies, or even with the merchants directly to, to provide that. I think this is a very exciting topic. And with the, the e-commerce growing more and more, the volumes of returns are going to increase. And with the consumer behavior, and they change their mind every single five minutes, as well, you will have a lot of people who will not like the item, and you have a lot of merchants who are offering free returns. The moment you offer free returns, you have to be ready to have a solid return process. You just cannot offer it to attract people to buy from you, but, but you don't care about the experience of the return uh, of the parcels. You offer free return, make sure to invest with your courier company, on having a solid return process. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I was, uh, I remember it, this was a, a while ago. This was two, three years ago, but it was kind of ironic. So the person was the CEO of a large e commerce platform, which I'm not going to name. And then he, he told me, like, look, this is how I bought my last suit, Radu. So I ordered five at home. 
I tried all of them. I like two, and then I sent three back. And I was thinking, gosh, you know, like, the, you know, whilst I understand from a convenience perspective, right? But I'm just thinking like, wow, is that really the, well, sustainability aside, right? Because that is not <laughs> the sustainable way. But I'm just thinking like, also for the, per, the merchant, right? I mean, is that really a way in which they make sustainable revenue? Because, you know, you look at the <laughs> cost of returns, is, as you know, is a lot of times much more than the cost of the actual delivery. So like that. Yeah. Uh, so. Look at that. The way I see it, honestly, honestly, I just throwing an idea. Maybe crowdsourcing returns is very important. If, mm. if you are in a country where crowdsourcing is, is allowed, you have thousands of people driving across your neighborhood. So maybe you can just make a technology, do a crowdsourcing platform, onboard people. So you may have somebody passing next to your home who's already on the platform of a certain company, and within two minutes they will pick up the parcel. And then drop it somewhere else. Of course, with a proper tech and integration. Maybe crowdsourcing returns can be a very good idea. It's not trademarked. Anybody can think of it. It's a free idea. But imagine you buy an item, uh, you get the wrong item, and then you just want to return it with a click of a button on a certain app. You will see somebody coming in two minutes to you, like the Uber style. But there's a lot to be done. I think I think a lot of innovations can happen in this area. And I, 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 to your to your point to your point, I think is waiting to happen. I haven't seen one myself around this, but it's I mean it makes sense, right? To to have some and yeah. then have the tech to make sure that the integrity of the goods is not obviously oh it doesn't vanish and disappear. Now it, this ain't gonna be able to do in all markets, but maybe you know smaller, more concentrated markets can be a starting point, and it you know it can definitely work. So yeah, if anybody hears this. You know, ideas ultimately are great, but, you know, execution is key. So take it and run and let us know. Uh, happy to support you <laughs> with it. Also, what I wanted to touch upon, Hussein, with you, because you're, you know, you're an uncanny or a different, peculiar story, right? So you did corporate, then you did fast-growing corporate, right? RMX is went like this. Then you did government, then UPS, which is another big global corporate, and now startup. How were these different jobs or careers or whatever you want to call them, right? Different to one another and, and what was same maybe, right? Tell us a little bit, you know, I guess the experience, right? So not everybody has a chance to move around like you did. Yeah, look, I consider myself a bit lucky because I worked in big corporates, I worked in government, and today I'm experiencing the startup. Uh, what I learned uh, it's, uh, eventually is everything uh, you learn in the big corporates, everything, and the good solid base that you get from there uh, gives you the best opportunity to implement in small companies. Because in big companies, you know, you are not always the ultimate decision maker or even you don't have a close team who can decide together as a collaborative team. But uh, in small companies, uh, you can just make things move very quickly. The agility is there. If you have the right experience and the base, the knowledge, and you've burned your fingers, as I say, in big corporates, I think the best place to heal your fingers and deliver 10 times faster is in small companies. Of course, small companies, they have challenges, definitely a lot of challenges. You know, every single startup or small business will have a specific challenge. Some of them will have a cash flow uh, challenge. Some of them you will have uh, liquidity. Some of them you will have uh, get to uh, get to market uh, challenge because the name is not very much known like the big names. However, the opportunities are always there as well. I think challenges in small companies, if you come from a big corporate, are nothing compared to the opportunities. I see today in Petra 20 opportunities and maybe 
uh, half a challenge here. That's, that's from my own perspective. Secondly, when you work in the government as well, you, re- you learn a lot of things. What really the government does for you, at least here, as by, by my experience in the UAE, they, they give you that mindset that you have to be the number one in everything. So it raises the bar of your personal expectations. And then you come back to the private sector and putting all the team under a specific target of we have to be the number one in everything. I can tell you it's almost reaching perfection, although perfection is never achievable. But working in the government in the UAE will give you the mindset and uh, really the, the, mind, the, the approach of be, being the number one everything. And this is good from, from my own uh, experience. And final question, I, I'm, I guess, or last, I have two. What are some principles? So when you make these transitions, right, and you've done it successfully, which is another thing that is not easy. And, and also when we place people, especially if that person has stayed with a certain company for a long, long time, Moving to a different one, one there's a huge uncertainty and I mean, some people never do it, right? If they've stayed up to a point with a certain company, they, they will stay there. But secondly, there's certain principles to follow to make sure that you adapt, right? And then you kind of almost forget what you were used to and go into the new reality. So what worked for you, right? Are there certain, if you were to distill one or two principles, right, in terms of making these transitions, private, public, startup, what is key? Look, my... my my personal experience was I was taking the best practices. I was always, always excited in my job transitional periods or job hopping, if, if I'm allowed to say that. Because going from a company to a company, or most importantly, every company I graduated from, because that's how I see it. It's, it's really every company I work for as a school. I take with me the best practices to the second company. And then I try to implement those best practices and the second company, even between private and public, by the way. I was really hired by the government. And the first thing was to bring the best practices from the private sector to the public sector and also vice versa. So to exchange those best practices uh, rather than going and learning something from you or doing something from scratch. You will have in certain companies between the private sector most uh, the flexibility to bring in a best practice implemented and have a star, an additional star to that company, or you may have a challenge in changing the culture of that organization. But at least you try all your best to implement the good things that you have learned, or you learn from that company things that are new, which will accumulate everything when you go to the third company. And by the way, maybe stepping out of my comfort zone was the best thing which I ever had in my life. I worked in a great company, which is Aramis, for 18 years. It was a school. I learned a lot. I took that cultural DNA from there. I moved out. I moved out for a different opportunity. It was really, I saw the whole world outside. Because 18 years were excellent for me to learn. Now it was time for me to carry that best practice somewhere else. So you have a lot of people who are very excited to move every couple of years. It's okay as long as you go in a good term as long as you leave in good term, and then take that best practice from a company to company. Change 20 jobs, it's okay. Be a 20x CEO, it's okay, as long as you do it properly and enjoy it. Life is short, and everybody needs to uh, really get the best out of it. And final question from me, for the younger audience, but not only, uh, listening, what would be one piece of advice that you would share that would be helpful in their careers in many, many years to come? What maybe you wish you knew when you started? 
Well, I think, look, yeah, it's something very important. Keep learning and explore always different options. Don't really stick to one area of experience. Uh, if you are, let's say, in the finance or tech, don't stick to that area of experience. Learn different things. If you are in tech, learn how to sell, learn how to serve a customer, learn how to have some financial background as well. I think a multi-skilled person today is the best required person ever in any organization. I, it's time for companies to stop hiring a person just because of one skill. It's time for companies to require, to, to hire, for example, somebody from the engineering background in a trading company because he or she bring a lot of good things rather than only, as you just said, when we started, a technical experience. Technical experience is important. Soft skills are much better. So work on yourself from day one. When you are still a small flower, flourish quickly, learn different things. Uh, don't be focused on one area of, of experience because the world is changing quickly and whatever you learn today is going to be obsolete tomorrow. So keep, keep upgrading your skills and knowledge. And I think this generation which we are addressing now, you're going to have better days than ours. Very, very exciting days. No, I'm, I confirm plus job. So with that being, being said, Hussein, it's been a pleasure. We have some more questions. I'll take you uh, offline so you can take it uh, if you have time. Many thanks for joining us and, and inspiring all the people that uh, have heard this live and will hear this online because it stays online and it will go on our podcast. Also, I urge everybody to connect, follow uh, Hussein, obviously, pitch him your ideas as well. You heard him. If you have something great to, to share, you know, do, do right to, to him. And uh, it's been a great pleasure and look forward to look forward to catching up soon and, you know, watching you grow and keep inspiring people on LinkedIn. Thank you, Radu, and thank you for the whole audience. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcotglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.